0: Hey there, and welcome to the Smart and Simple Matters show with your host, Joel zeslowski Facilitate good times, come on. This is episode number 130. quote george costanza from seinfeld i'm back baby well at least for one episode still trying to figure out how to produce more than one new episode every fewish months but let's live in the here and now you got me i got you i am grateful for that hopefully you are too now i'm uh, i think i'm gonna tighten up the production of these future smart and simple matters episodes so there may be less of a lead-in than you're used to if you've been listening for a while I will, however, give you one general, here are some big things that are going on in my life updates, though. My wife and I are hopping on a plane with our two boys. We're leaving from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we'll go to Reykjavik, Iceland on May 26th, 2019, and then we'll be taking a mini sabbatical based in Amsterdam from May 31st through August 14th. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Whoa, right? Can you say sweet, sassy, molassie? I know I certainly can. I am so stoked for that. And I'll explain why we're doing it, how it's all going to work some other time. I just wanted to loop you in for now. So if you know amazing community builders, quantum biologists, simple living enthusiasts, or other folks in and around Amsterdam, you feel like I should know... I'm always available to connect and be connected. You can email me at joel at joelzislasky.com or there's some other ways to get in touch. On with the show. Right now, I want to talk to you about facilitation. Yes, facilitation, the skill that's been serving and saving humanity ever since we learned how to speak. Does that sound too dramatic? I don't think it is. It's something that so many people want to do well and simply just can't seem to get a handle on. Maybe maybe it's just too much work to become a solid facilitator. Maybe, and maybe you just haven't given it the right go or haven't had the right teacher. You'll know if this podcast episode is right for you if you've ever thought things like, can we finally talk about something meaningful or Make some progress for a change as your work meeting slowly numbs your brain. Uh, Why do most conversations in this group seem so shallow as you consider excusing yourself early yet again? When is this community going to do something about the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about? As the dialogue never seems to happen or go anywhere. In all these cases, and many, many more, facilitation to the rescue. It's not some mystical art that only the socially or verbally gifted can do. The word facilitate actually comes from the Latin facilis, to make likely or to be easy. And the principles are certainly easy to learn. I've used my facilitation skills in everything from corporate meetings to webinars to offline events to neighborhood gatherings, family conversations involving two young and rowdy boys. It works, and it works almost every single time. I know this is going to sound a little uh, dramatic. But would you want your future volunteer committees, work meetings, or dinner parties to shine, even in less than ideal environments? Listen up to learn how to kickstart any conversation, keep it humming, and leave people buzzing. How to have influence without the need for power or control. The key qualities of great facilitators and which ones you need the most. When facilitation is and isn't the right thing to do. How to set up the physical, digital, and emotional environment for open, confident, and collaborative communication. How to handle and prevent dominant talkers, silent sitters, tangent starters, and people who are just plain insensitive. How to lean into listening, silence, and maintaining everyone's focus. How to change group dynamics on the fly, and model learning behavior. Where the pros go to experiment with new facilitation techniques that break through conversational walls. It's time to become the team player, peacemaker, consensus builder, group strategist, or excellent conversationalist you've always wanted to be and that people desperately need you to be. Here, we go. This podcast episode is actually a variation of a live online workshop I gave on the same topic in the community that I run, the Putty Tribe. You may have heard me talk about this place before—the playground for multi-potentialites. Uh, it was received well, and I figured, why not do a smart and simple matters version of this and help more than just the hundreds of putty peep in the Putty Tribe? So. That's what I'm doing. Now, what I'll be doing, I will be using my years of informal and formal facilitation to help you have better conversations in just about any context. And of course, we're going to have some fun here. Facilitating is one of my great joys in life, and it can be a rootin' tootin' dandy time for everyone. What I would like you to learn or be able to do after you're done listening to this, now, My emphasis is on facilitation in a friendly, casual context. I am much more interested in having your next social outing be enriched by your soon-to-be new mindset and facilitation skills than, say, trying to get countries to sit down at the negotiating table. Uh, If you take to heart what we're going to cover and practice and what you're about to learn, I mean, actually intentionally practice this stuff. Your future work meetings, volunteer committees, and dinner parties, they're all going to go super swell. Maybe you will become that person at an event that everyone wants to be around because you just bring out such good conversations wherever you go, or maybe you'll just get a little bit closer to that reality. I will say, you will definitely be more prepared to have a healthy conversation on the hard topics your friends or family would rather shout about or sulk in awkward silence about afterwards until you show them another way to interact. Now, even if you don't agree or understand other people's political, religious, professional, sports affiliations, whatever it may be, you can create a container where respect and perhaps even good faith can thrive, even if it's somewhat fleeting. At its best, facilitating helps you connect the dots between ideas, people, and emotions. It helps you become more aware of your physical environment, your mental biases, and your emotional state. It may, perhaps, just help you become known as a peacemaker, a business strategist, or at the very least, an excellent conversationalist. If you want to plan well in a team environment, keep community members involved, create leadership opportunities for others, or have others take ownership of their words and actions, you need some facilitator skills all right that was actually a long lead-in to the how-to uh which we're going to get to in just a little bit now what i expect from you in return from listening to this is to do is to experiment with uncomfortable situations and concepts some of what i discuss or do might make you feel anxious that's actually a good sign do your best to lean into it instead of just kind of cringing and hardening against it. I know you're ready to do this. Let's do this. All right. I spoke about the elephant in the room before. Let's talk about the elephant in the room right now. Why the heck should you care about what I have to say about facilitation? Well, I used to be shy, comfortable with my small group of the same friends and not interested in being the catalyst for great discussions. I get what it's like to have that personality and mindset. However, I was asked by virtue of my roles in my former corporate work as a project manager, business analyst, soliciting requirements for software development, or being a liaison between the coding nerds and the business owners to help all these different stakeholders at different levels of authority with all these subtle little power dynamics at play. I needed to help them work well together. And working well together required talking well together, which required someone to facilitate that process and facilitate those conversations. A bit more recently, I've actively developed my facilitation skills so I could be that person who walks up to a small group at any kind of gathering of humans and just smoothly insert myself into a conversation through a clever or surprising question or comment Uh, I facilitate at monthly local gatherings for groups that I'm involved in, my mastermind group, being the host of many a Putty Tribe huddle, and neighborhood block parties, and many more places. Just like bringing people together, facilitation is not just what I do. It's a core part of my identity, and often some of the highest value I can offer others by simply being present. I've probably said the word facilitate about infinity million times already without making it completely clear what I mean. I gave you the definition, how it comes from the Latin of facilis, for easy. Uh, To me, a well-facilitated conversation is just much easier than this arms-crossed, awkward, or grudging conversation that you have at work or at home or out on the town. Uh, In a business, educational, or potentially contentious situation, the facilitator is selected or assigned by someone or by themselves, to uh, a group, they often remain neutral and they generally don't have decision-making authority. That's not the primary lens in which we are looking at facilitation today, but it's helpful to keep that perspective in mind because each person has a different intuitive or explicit view about who a facilitator is and what he or she does. I've read in other places that a facilitator like a midwife, doesn't own the intentions, actions, or outcome of a group. They just help deliver the baby or the conversational baby, if you will. Now, what this isn't, it's not about mediation. It's not about intervention or arbitration. Those things definitely benefit from good facilitators, but I am simply here to help you get better at the more common experiences of life not making you amazing in the boardroom or the courtroom, if those are your domains. This is also not about having conversations of three or fewer people. You generally don't need or generally don't even want a facilitator until you have four or more people. So besides having four or more people, when do you facilitate? You know, why use facilitation instead of another method of guiding conversations or just having a good old chat? Before we get into how to facilitate, let's examine when this works or might be required. Now, think for a second, where and when have you seen great facilitation make the difference in your experience? Just just meditate on that for a moment. When have you been all like, dang, That was some hot facilitation, and you've probably had these experiences too. We don't need a facilitator, Mr. Miss Fancy, yourself a big-time facilitator person. I have to say that every once in a while, somebody comes to me uh, with with that commentary. There are definitely times when uh, brainstorming or consensus building, some other approach is better than facilitation for one reason or another. But whether you want to or not, you might need to bust out your facilitation skills in some scenarios like someone important asked you to. Maybe you are the one with a reputation for objectivity, some kind of high status within a community, or because no one else seems to have the mindset or skills, you might be the obvious choice to lead a particular discussion. Maybe it's part of your job, whether you're a mental health advocate, teacher, on the board of directors for charity, or getting your project management meeting on, you might be expected to lead a group discussion. Having a conversation. Maybe it was your idea in the first place. In other words, you initiated the group discussion, the dinner for six at the restaurant, or the strategy session, and now the honor of interaction falls into your lap. How about when something new is beginning? Whether it's a new project, initiative, program, coalition, campaign, whatever. Inclusive discussion is critical for creating a plan to move forward and getting support and ownership for that plan. We have got two more for you. When specific groups need to be brought together. Representatives from ethnic, religious, or mixed identity groups they need to talk within and amongst themselves. These kinds of facilitated conversations uh, about unhealthy drinking water, dangerous behavior in the neighborhood, or something else, and the chance for folks to make it personal, to make these personal connections and understand, not just in vague senses, but in specific senses, that helps big time. The last one for now, when you want the best learning experience. If you have something to teach, for example... Don't public-speak it, in my humble opinion, most of the time. Instead, facilitate it. The science is very clear on this one. Facilitation can come to the rescue. How about some key qualities of a facilitator? How do you know that you have these attributes, these characteristics that facilitators, the good ones, the really good ones, need Normally, I don't do explicit on smart and simple matters, but uh, I have to on behalf of uh, introducing you to a quirky and insightful facilitation resource. The Twitter handle at shitfacilitator and the Twitter hashtag shitfacilitators say. <laughs> First of all, hilarious if you're into it like I am. Even if you're not, still kind of hilarious and really practical and insightful. Let me give you some examples of shit facilitators say. And you can't even point it out if I say something like this uh, during this uh, podcast episode. Our only technology here is candid conversation. <laughs> hey, this family vacation isn't going to facilitate itself. Group agreement. We will care front, not confront one another. Any more noticings or wonderings in this group? Ask not what your facilitator can do for you. Ask how you can contribute to the success of our learning community. So as you listen to these, uh, maybe you're starting to grasp some key attributes of good uh, facilitation questions or statements. Uh, I wish I had this digital dry erase board (laughs) that I could write on for you right now, but I'm just going to list some of what I feel are the key qualities of a rockin' facilitator. Often, these aren't just my opinion. This is uh, based on a lot of history and good communication, some academic literature and research. So, let's go through a few of these together. Number one in my book, Ask Good Questions. That in itself is a separate podcast episode on its own, but it is so, so huge to being a good facilitator. Anything that helps you ask better or more meaningful questions will instantly make you a better facilitator. Conversations move at the speed of trust. Anything you do to build or break down trust within a group will directly influence what you can discuss and how deep you'll go. Listening. I'm talking about full ears, body, mind, every fiber of your being listening. Some of you got that nailed already. Others are natural or can develop some empathy and compassion. Just getting into those shoes of the people you're helping through conversation to seek to understand their worldview and motivations. mm Having respect for views, physical appearances, or anything else different than what or who you are. Just bring in an open mind. Understanding group dynamics, social science, and human psychology. Curiosity, the ability to think and actually ask, "Uh, what do you mean by that? Patience, kindness, playfulness, and a sense of humor. I tell you, there have been A lot of times where I've been able to diffuse a suddenly heated or tense situation with just a little joke, being a little bit playful, it's much easier with uh, the right little quip if you have one. As a facilitator, you have to be attentive to what's happening really at all times when that's your role. Don't get sidetracked into long discussions with individuals. That's one-on-one stuff. That's not group conversation. Problem-solving mode Really, when it comes to facilitation, it might not be the best one. You and your group don't need to have all of the answers. Sometimes you just need to ask the good questions. You, as a facilitator, are there to create and further meaningful conversations. You're not there to hand-wrap the solution to every issue the group is considering. Here's one I actually disagree with a bit. All the facilitator handbooks say that you must, you must remain neutral. For me, it's totally contextual. Uh, Turning a lame or shallow conversation among your friends into something vibrant might mean playfully provoking, having an opinion, and then making it known that you are provoking or instigating or sharing your opinion. Just whatever you do, don't shut down other people's perspectives or create some kind of a default de facto position that you feel like everyone else should have. If you decide to take a side at some point, remember your biases. Don't assume that someone from a particular culture, race, or background speaks for everyone else from that same situation. In a group discussion, no one should be asked or assumed to represent anything more than themselves. Last for now, remain calm. Just chill out, baby. This isn't about you conversation is about us. Remember that it's the responsibility of the group to work towards the required outcome. Your responsibility is simply to support the process. You've been waiting patiently for some facilitation how-to. I think you're ready. I think I know you're ready. So let's get into some of the basics, the 101 class kind of stuff. First of all, let's talk about the environment, setting up the environment. You can make or break a conversation before it even begins. The environment, physical, digital, emotional, or other attributes of an environment, that is essential to facilitating. Now, picture for a moment. If I made a conversational prerequisite that everyone needed to get naked and have our next conversation in a super hot sauna... Do you think that would affect the dialogue at all? Imagine, for a moment, if a facilitator had the comfiest chairs in history, a thousand different beverages to pick from, and 50 years of experience. Yet, the conversation is being held in the middle of a rock concert where you have to yell at the person next to you just to hear them. These are extreme scenarios, but elements of these examples come into play in typical and day-to-day environments. So what are some of the emotional, physical, mental attributes of group conversation that help you focus, feel safe, get deep, and just generally have a good time? Go ahead, get out your notebook or journal. We can start taking notes if you want. Now here's what I consider when setting up an environment for the best facilitation. First, Comfort. If possible, choose familiar and safe locations like a specific local park, a restaurant, someone's home. You know, you get the idea. If you're going to be talking while standing, find even places to stand. Don't have conversations on steep hills, for example. And if you're going to be sitting for a while, Find some good, maybe ergonomic chairs, or at least chairs that don't cause severe fidgeting after one minute or your butt to go numb after five minutes. Uh, You might even explore whether the floor or ground is the best sitting option. Whether you're sitting or standing, switching between those two often, if possible, get people's blood flowing through movement, get them reactivated in the conversation. It helps keeping the brain engaged and energy levels up That's hashtag science for you right there. Temperatures. You can't have extreme temperatures. Someone's always going to be warm or cool, but they shouldn't feel, oh my gosh, it's hot, or cold. You also need to have something that's light on distractions. Loud areas, Uh uh-uh. Everyone else needs to be able to hear each other. No intensely flashing lights or TVs. Go as distraction-free as possible. Heavy on connecting. So, a quick question for you. Pop quiz, if you will. What's the difference between an audience and a community? Only the direction you face the chairs. Form a circle with chairs, tables, or even human beings. That circling aspect is both symbolic and real-world practical when it comes to how you are physically creating the environment for the people who are there. Uh, Bring food and drink or have it available to buy. People like drinking things. People like eating things. I know this is a giant surprise, but that often helps a lot. And then leave some space for others to join in. That might mean a gap between people who are huddling in a circular formation. Leave a little bit of space for someone to jump in. Uh, a walkway at the entry point of chairs so people can go through an intentional gap to sit down an open chair. Or if you're doing this digitally uh, and you're doing some kind of video conferencing, like in a Zoom room, for example, uh, hold enough space for stragglers. Your supplies, note taking, dry erase boards, writing down real time feedback, digital, physical. Get ready to have you and to have others take some notes on whatever kind of tools are available. If you think I'm missing something, uh, maybe you're thinking about anything additional right now, you can let me know. Another basic thing, how people enter and exit matters. Introduce and welcome new people when they join the group every time. Let people introduce themselves as the default. Often people feel more like they're part of the group when they get a chance to introduce themselves. And be willing to add some context or build upon their intro with a little tidbit that everyone else might find intriguing or valuable if you know that person. Or maybe they're too shy to offer something up. As a facilitator, I like to do most of my talking up front. I set good expectations and the right tone at the beginning and tell people how they can opt out of the conversation if they don't agree to the good faith covenant that I'm suggesting for everyone. As a facilitator, you get to establish the social norms. Who gets to speak and when? No, you don't need to always make it explicit. Uh, When will you break for food, beverage, or self-care? Is this a confidential conversation, or can anyone just blab about whatever the heck they want about anything that someone said at any point in time? And if it's appropriate, uh, more formal, what are the ground rules, the covenants, or the promises that you all agree on for the conversation or for the length of time that you're together. When people exit, it's just as important as allowing space for people to enter. So allowing the exit of someone from the group with, uh, hey, thanks for joining us. See you later. Maybe you can give them a hug or a hand five, a handshake, a fist bump, whatever it is, just acknowledging the contribution, even if it was a quiet one of someone as they exit the group. Now let's get into the bulk of the learning and the doing. How to actively facilitate when you're asked or feel compelled to do so. Here's a big question. What makes a good question good? Uh, What makes a good question a great question? These are the currency of a rockin' facilitator. Here's what I believe. Poor or sloppy questions. These are simple yes or no, true or false. Pick from this list of three pre-made answers that generally isn't going to cut it. Uh, Better question, generally open-ended. What's the story you're telling yourself around what you just explained? I've actually asked that question to people and made them think and opened up some folks while I asked them that open-ended question. Following up, how does that make you feel? What experience have you had that make you say that? No one's going to think you're a therapist if you're asking these questions, but it's important to get to the emotions or to get to the underlying experiences when someone's making a statement or a question. You know, what is it? What is it inside of you that's making you feel that? Why do you say that? Listening, like really listening, like the whole time. I know it's hard. It's really hard, but listening and sensing, showing everyone that they have your full attention with your eyes, your body posture, and your words. So that means don't cross your arms or close off your body with your legs either. Lean forward, lean in, show people the spark of interest, maybe even with a smile or your eyes. And of course, we're not just listening with our ears. You're periodically scanning or sweeping the group for nonverbal sides of boredom agitation, distraction. Another, help other people listen and maintain attention. It can be hard enough for you to do that. You can help others listen and keep their attention as well. So run a two-minute clean slate drill, which I'll link to in the show notes. Uh, Give a disapproving look or verbal cue when someone inappropriately starts looking at their smartphone. If necessary, have people move around a room, take standing breaks, break into smaller groups or bigger groups, come back together. These kinds of things really help people listen and focus their attention. Having a point of view, if only to stir the pot a little bit, groups that just nod politely and agree with everything that everyone says are boring. Throw out an option, either that You hold or a common one among the group with a sly grin, maybe a wink. See who grabs onto it. Another tactic. You hear somebody say something you don't understand or it's controversial. You start with, what I believe I heard you say is that dot dot dot. Clarifying someone and having them reflect back to you and say, no, no, no. That's not what I meant at all. This is what I mean. Or saying, yes, you nailed it. Gives people the ability to move forward and agree upon the idea or the topic or the concept or the emotion, being able to name it and reflect back in real time. What I believe I heard you say is that, dot, dot, dot. It's a really powerful thing. This next one is a little bit controversial, but I absolutely love it. I actively encourage dissent in the conversations that I facilitate. Uh, I took some notes. There's an amazing book by Peter Block, Community, The Structure of Belonging, and he talks about the challenge of a facilitator to frame the questions in a way that evokes dissent that is authentic. You are trying to prevent denial, so don't ask people what they think, whether they think there's a problem, or even ask them to define the problem. You don't need to ask people what they're going to do about this. Uh, A great way to avoid rebellion is to stop trying to sell or control the world. Some of my favorite questions when I am trying to encourage dissent or dealing with dissent are, what doubts and reservations do you have about, insert your topic here, "Uh, what have you said yes to that you no longer really mean? What forgiveness are you withholding? What resentment do you hold that people need to know about? We can ask other folks anything as long as we don't pressure people to answer. Which goes to say, a lot of the questions that you're asking, they're not rhetorical questions. You're generally looking for a response. But if people refuse to respond, their no should be honored. Okay, so all this theory, it's all well and good. But what about when humans do standard human things and they be humans? Like get all challenging with you and each other. Rubber hitting the road? uh, Yeah, I think it's time for that to happen. You know the type. I could give you so many examples of the person who just won't shut up and speaks first every single time. Or there are people who just won't speak up even when they have something important to say. There are more challenging personalities and people than just these, though. I could go into a lot of them. I'm going to classify them as the most prevalent ones, like the dominant talker, which I have totally been. Most of the time, it's unintentional. uh, But as a former dominant talker, I can easily put myself in the shoes of the person who just won't give it a rest. How do you handle these folks? Uh, And let's be honest... It's normally you and me, men, uh, redirect the discussion to another person or topic. You can reframe their comments to make them valuable additions to the overall conversation. Hmm, that's a, that's a unique perspective, Herb. Uh, I wonder who else wants to reflect on the current theme of our chat. You know, something like that. Anything, though, is better than... Uh, <sighs> Annie... Just be quiet for once. Jesus. Don't do that. Or can we please hear from someone else besides Muhammad? Don't do that either. Uh, Another kind of uh, challenging person is the, -uh. You are not going to make me talk now or ever. A double, triple dog dare you person. Uh, This but this person, you just want a little bit, just just, just a skosh, just a smidge, just a tidge from them. Like, How do we get them to open up, especially when you know that they have something valuable to contribute? Well, you can keep prompting them or look for a shift in their body language that says they're uncomfortable with what was just said, or maybe they're animated about the direction of the conversation and ready to say something. Most of these people, these silent sulkers, are going to say a lot more with their body language than anything else, since they're not actually talking with their words. You can encourage them to share something small, just a teeny weensy little thing. It's Make it an experiment. Make it fun, like a little trial. I wonder what would happen if uh, Joey, Jojo Jr. Shabado said something. And when they do, when they do say something, praise them big time. Uh, and, and unless it's your job requirement, don't insist that the quieter people speak. Uh, even then, giving people space to contribute at the right time is going to result in a better experience for everyone. All right, here is another person, the tangent starter. Oh, the tangent starter. Perhaps my, uh, my most challenging personality when I'm facilitating conversations. This person, they love to get the group off track with sentences that start like, hey, you know... That reminds me of the time, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) I do want to say tangents can be good. Something stale can be reinvigorated by an unexpected shift in tone or direction. And when the time comes, it's up to you to bring that conversation back to where it left or bring it back to the central theme of the chat. Don't get all, whoa, 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 whoa on them. Just gently interrupt and redirect just like you're training a puppy. If you want an example, here's how I would phrase it with uh, an interruption if necessary. Amira, I might not be the only one intrigued by where this is heading. It seems really cool. Uh, How about you share the story with us later and we can go back to the intricacies of atmospheric ozone degradation right now. Thanks. Boom! There you go. Tangent over. Now you're on to another thing, and maybe you're on to the insensitive or just plain mean person. Uh, this is actually on the increase. The people who just are straight up nasty. Uh, that person, the sarcastic advice giver, putting everyone down, constantly cutting people off, or intentionally offending folks just to get a rise out of them, just to see what will happen. This kind of person I view as a conversational health risk, and you need to deal with them right away. You do not want to see how bad it might get. When it comes to this kind of person, I like what David and Emily Axelrod had to say about them in their book, Let's Stop Meeting Like This. I'll quote, when someone goes overboard in a physical canoe, you throw a paddle or toss a life preserver. You don't stop to talk about who should throw the paddle or how. The same is true in meetings, in their case, conversations in our case. Failure to act when someone is being disruptive or taking you away from the reason you've gathered threatens your canoe and everyone in it. Your job, whether you are a leader or crew member, is to stop the current pattern of behavior and offer a more productive way to handle the situation. Participants, don't wait for your facilitator to intervene when someone is being mean. Don't wait for your facilitator to intervene when someone is being mean. Save the conversation and the group dynamic, however you feel is best, with or without tact. Sometimes you have to be temporarily brutal. Like, Danny, nobody seems to enjoy your company right now don't you have somewhere else to go or someone else to bother? Now, I know that sounds harsh, but if you are rescuing 20 other people by disinviting Danny from the conversation, and hopefully he can take a hint, you are saving the canoe. So you have these challenging people, you've got some tactics, but what are some general strategies? What are some interventions? Sometimes you just need a good old intervention. Not the we-need-to-talk-about-your-life-decisions-before-everything-falls-apart kind of intervention. I'm talking about simple ones. Some ones that are lower stakes than someone's life at risk, but still important. Uh, Intervention, I know some of you might not like that word. I'm just talking about a technique to use when someone is disrupting or causing a problem that's not helping the group communicate. There are many, many types of interventions. I'm not going to attempt to cover them all right here, but the best one is actually, well, it's more than just one when you subtly combine two or more techniques. Confrontation remains low and getting back on track remains likely. I'll give you some examples. First, Bring people back to the spirit of the conversation or the covenants that you all agree to when you started the conversation. Well, this is particularly helpful when someone is going partially or totally off topic. They have side conversations with that person sitting next to them through the whole time. Sometimes they're whispering. Sometimes they're actually audible or they're attacking someone personally instead of arguing about their ideas. Bring people back to the spirit of the conversation or the covenants that you all agreed to. Second, call it like you see it. If someone is trying to intimidate another person, maybe you're pissed off or you feel undermined, be honest. Just verbally address what you see is going on and how you might stop it. Call it like you see it. Use humor. You don't have to be a comedian, to use humor. It's useful in just about any situation, but especially useful if you feel a tension, a lot of tension among or in the group. Some people, you get a sense, some people, they don't want to be there. Someone is scared or shy about participating, or you don't have a lot of street cred with the group you're talking to. In other words, you're seen as an outsider. Being playful Cracking a joke, using humor, mm, so good. Another one, let's make a deal. No, I'm not talking about the game show. I'm talking about, actually, even better yet, ADD. That's an acronym, ADD. Accept, deal, or defer. Accept, deal, or defer. Bust out this intervention if someone keeps dissenting over and over They're just bitterly shutting down conversation about a topic or dismissing other people's suggestions. Maybe they're just banging on that drum over and over again about the same thing, or they seem to have some kind of wicked power issue going on and trying to take control of things. So when these things happen and you need to make a deal, let's do some ADD. First, accept that what they're saying is true. Don't ignore it. Deal with it right there by spending some time on it and defer it to the group for a decision about what to do. You are not the sole person responsible for the intervention, of course. Here's another one. Use your most powerful nonverbal cues. If you want to hush up that side conversation, help quiet people participate, or get people to snap back to attention, make and hold eye contact. Smile at someone or just wince, like, ooh, that pained me to hear. Shift your seating or standing position to either give more or less respect or attention to an action or opinion. Things like that. Use your body, use your eyes, use your smile or your frown. These are often more cutting and more persuasive than any verbal cue that you can give to people. And at the same time, don't get defensive. You, your style, your role, In the conversation, at some point, it may get attacked, may get criticized, or maybe people are just going to be indifferent to you. Think before you speak. Don't let your body betray what you might really want to say. Again, this isn't about you. This is about us. Don't get defensive. So to recap, some of these interventions, they are bring people back to the spirit of the conversation or the covenants they agree to. Call it like you see it. Use humor, ADD, accept, deal, or defer. Use powerful nonverbal cues and don't get defensive. You might think, oh my gosh, Joel, my brain is exploding. You have already covered way too much. If so, you can pause and absorb and come back to this in a little bit. We are not done with our facilitator how to. Here's some more good stuff for all of us. Here's a good one it's an awkward one for most people. Only temporarily. Make space for silence. I'm talking up to 10 seconds of conversational silence, which for a lot of people can feel like an eternity. Intentionally invite silence. Uh, You're giving people time to write down their thoughts if they have a notebook or a smartphone uh, or answer the question in the conversation. There is so much that can come from just leaving space for people to think, for people to feel. For the shy or introverted person to finally speak up, they will especially thank you if you make space for silence. Um, Hashtag shit facilitators say, your awkward silence is my making space for voices we haven't heard yet. I mentioned this before. I'm going to mention it again because it's important. Acknowledging perspectives or feelings. Hey, you know what? That makes sense. Or giving someone a, "Ah, I've been there too. I know what you're feeling. Looking for signs of confusion. If you get those people, they've got the scrunched up eyebrows, the subtle little under their breath, huh? Blank faces after someone rattles off a 10-letter acronym that everyone can't possibly be expected to know. Just be willing to hit pause. Just pause the conversation. Back up a step and clarify if it seems like a lot of people are confused. Remind people what's at stake. The why. Why are you even talking in the first place? Why are you having a group conversation? reminding people why you're gathered. What's at stake as a result of the conversation for you uh, at your next work meeting, your volunteer committee, at the dinner table meal? Don't you want all these things to be amazing? I mean, facilitation skills is going to help in every social context you imagine. So bring it back to why does the topic you're discussing matter? And if no one seems to know, you can remind people. Why are the things you're discussing important to you, your group, or the world outside your conversation? And what about you? You personally? What's at stake for you if you don't learn to facilitate better or if you dramatically improve your talking and channeling skills? Another pro tip, model learning behavior, not teaching behavior you don't need to be the source of wisdom. Even if you know more about what you're talking about than most or all others in the conversation, being that fancy pants who knows everything generally doesn't help. I would encourage you to uh, consider that other people might have ideas or knowledge that you haven't considered, even if you feel like you know a ton about what's being discussed. Maybe they have experiences or insights that you could never have, they do. So model learning behavior. You're not there to teach. Drive home the learning points. You know, I've been driving home some learning points along the way in this podcast episode, and when I'm facilitating, I don't want people to just talk. I want talk that leads to action, to change in their lives of the people who are there and the people who they will encounter after the conversation, this awesome ripple effect The change in the relationships that they have, the kind of work that they do, the self care rituals that they maintain, stuff like that. So, when it comes to learning points, I have some good questions to end a conversation with when you sense or know that it's coming to a close. First, what did we just talk about have to do with how you see the world or plan to show up in it in the near future? How has your perspective shifted as a result of our chat? What's one thing you'll do differently tomorrow? because of what we discussed today? Those are some great questions to drive home the learning points. Prompt your peeps for good vibes and kudos. One of my favorite parts about being a facilitator is to give gratitude and to encourage others to uh, share their gratitude and their compliments and appreciations. So oftentimes when I'm facilitating, uh, almost unintentionally at this point, I will ask questions like, Who would you like to recognize for their contributions during our meeting, dinner, gathering, whatever may happen to be? What recent accomplishments, personal, business, spiritual, or otherwise, would you like to celebrate with us? Making your conversations a source of uh, joy or gratitude really will go a long way to people remembering them fondly and acting upon the things that you've discussed. And then finally, bringing it all together, recapping the conversation, often no one is going to do this except the facilitator. So when that's you, recap what you believe was agreed upon or actions that individuals or the collective group are taking as a result of the conversation. Uh, If you want to get even a little bit more advanced, you can ask yourself and actually answer these two questions. Who do you know? That could give you feedback on your facilitation skills. Take notes about the people or topics in a conversation and then follow up with participants about their commitments, questions, or opinions. I'm constantly asking people, how did I do? What should I change? And then as people are saying things, especially when they're making promises or commitments or key questions, I'm taking notes. And then I will often follow up with a participant in a conversation to say, did you do that thing? Or, did you get that question answered? Or, has your opinion changed based on what you said before? That's a lot of fun, and it surprises people. But a good follow-up is kind of this meta-level facilitation skill, which is underappreciated, but really goes a long way. So there you go. That's a lot on facilitation. But as I mentioned in the start, facilitation equals easy. Literally, it's part of the source and the origin of the word. So now... You know, when to facilitate, how to acknowledge people when they enter and leave a conversation. You will be keen to keep in mind environmental concerns and how you set up the environment for your conversation. You know what makes for good, great, and super rad questions. How to listen with more than just your ears. You can now better troubleshoot all those troublesome conversational folks Make some space for silence. Understand a bit more about how to model learning behavior, not teaching behavior. Really, all that's left for you to do is practice. Practice, practice, practice. Practice on your friends. Practice at work. Practice at your church or religious community. Practice in your neighborhood. Practice facilitation. You don't have to tell people, hey, guess what, everybody? I would like to practice my facilitation skills right now. Just, just do it. Try some things. See how people react, and then you react. I would like to know in uh, comments in the show notes or an email to me or some other way, what did I just talk about have to do with how you see the world or plan to show up in it in the near future? I would love to know how has your perspective shifted as a result of what I just went through? And then maybe even most importantly, what's one thing you'll do differently tomorrow because of what we discussed today? There you go. That's facilitation for you right there. All right. You can find links to all the stuff I spoke about, topic timestamps, takeaways, and more grooviness in the show notes at joelzeslowski.com. S A S M one three zero. I will have links in the show notes to resources I didn't discuss here, but served as inspiration for the conversation. Things like the Conferences That Work model, things like the University of Kansas Community Toolbox, a well-designed and comprehensive toolkit for facilitators, event organizers, or workshop leaders to use for one, some, or all of their activities, And, of course, the ever-clever Shit facilitator Say Twitter handle. You'll also see information in the show notes about how to support me, this show, and our community at joelzeslowski.com slash support. Feel free to share the podcast or this specific episode with people in your life who need some help with this facilitation thing. Because, at the end of the day... You all have to own this change. I can't own it for you. Hashtag shit facilitator say. (laughs) You've just listened to the Smart and Simple Matters podcast with Joel Zaslavsky. Now go simplify something, hug someone, or get your sexy spreadsheet on.